excited uh, to be able to share this topic. Um, uh, I, um, as Vivian said, have been a, a pediatrician for about 25 years. I was a professor of pediatrics at Hahnemann University um, and Medical College of Pennsylvania for about seven years. Uh, I ran the Hope Clinic in uh, Philadelphia for about nine years. Um, and uh, easily 80 to 90% of all of my pediatric knowledge was uh, from having children of my own. Uh, so uh, it's definitely something that um, we've experienced and we know what you guys are going through. Uh, this is a totally different time than when we raise kids, but uh, a lot of the things are the same. Things I've been hearing like uh, getting your children to sleep through the night and getting them to be potty trained and how to uh, keep your marriage going and how to um, to take care of your, yourselves at the same time, how to have a relationship with God and teach them to have a relationship with God. So uh, we're gonna touch uh, a little bit about uh, some of these things and then we're gonna open it up to questions because, uh, and please, you know, if you could write it down or, or have in your mind any questions that you have uh, because we're here and, you know, even after the talk, um, uh, certainly you guys can uh, contact John and Vivian and you, you can ask us anything uh, that you need to. Um, I just wanna say from the get-go that there's no such thing as a perfect parent. I mean, she's close, but uh, really there's no such thing as a perfect parent. So rest assured uh, that um, what you're going through is, is not uh, anything that not anyone else has gone through. Uh, and the good news is, is God blesses our efforts to help us to be successful parents. So I want you guys just to take a deep breath just be at peace and just rejoice that God has given us everything we need for this very holy, sacred task of parenting. And he is with you every single step of the way. So with that, the question arises, why is it important to understand how to raise godly children? Uh, let me share with you some statistics. Um, in the next 24 hours, 1,400 teens will attempt suicide. 2,795 teenage girls will become pregnant. 15,000 teens will use drugs for the first time. And 3,506 teens will run away from home. In this day and age, the percentage of US adults that identify as, as Christian has dropped to the lowest point in US history. Atheism, agnosticism has doubled and over a quarter uh, of a percent, uh, 25, 26% of adults have no religious affiliation. We know that the enemy is like a roaring lion who wants to steal, kill and destroy. Um, but fear not because greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. So know that although there are pitfalls and there are dangers out there, we have been given that task to be able to protect them, to nurture them, to give them the, uh, the armor and, um, and the tools to be able to, to not only survive world, this world, but also to thrive in it and thrive in it in a way that will glorify God now and, and forever. Okay, so knowing that, now what? How, how do we do this? How do we raise godly children? Well, one of the questions is, when do we start? When do we start this whole process of raising godly children? And I think who is it with a bun in the oven? Uh, um, 
who is it that's pregnant? Well, I mean, the answer is uh, in the womb, we should be singing hymns to our babies and, and citing scripture and, and loving and nurturing our children even before they're born. Uh, and actually the better answer is to be better parents should start as soon as we become Christians so that we can have the tools to be godly and to be strong and help them through this process. But even more important than that is when we were children, watching our parents, seeing the mistakes that they've made, seeing their strengths and weaknesses and learning from that. But alas, not all of us uh, are able to start in that way. So the old uh, proverb comes to mind, when is the best time to plant a tree? Well, 20 years ago, when is the second best time to plant a tree? And that's right now. So with that, let's, let's begin and let's learn how we can, um, we can grow our godly children and raise them in a way that they should be raised. There are three aspects of, um, of effective parenting. One is knowing yourself, two is knowing your spouse and family, and third is knowing your child. So in knowing yourself, it's important to consider your own upbringing. The most influential parenting role models we have in our lives are, scarily enough, our own parents. I mean, they're the most influential role models that we've had. And uh, you've heard it said, oh, I'll never be like my dad when I'm a father. And guess what? You know, I have my wife saying, wow, I, if I say something, she'll say, when did your dad walk in the room? And uh, <laughs> what happened there, you know? Uh, and unfortunately, there, it's a very, very, very powerful uh, influence on our parenting. Um, you know, we're similar to our parents genetically, uh, emotionally, physically, and whether we like it or not, that is a very, very uh, large imprint on our lives and on our parenting. We have to know our own strengths and our own weaknesses and how they can affect our relationships and our parenting. And a book... Um, by um, Daniel Siegel, uh, Parenting from the Inside Out, How a Deeper Self-Understanding Can Help You Raise Children Who Thrive. He states that um, when parents don't take responsibility for their own unfinished business, they miss an opportunity not only to become better parents, but also to continue their own development. People who remain in the dark about the origins of their behaviors and intense emotional responses are unaware of their own resolved issues and the parental ambivalence that they create in their children's lives. And that's certainly true in my life. Um, God has used my relationship with my children and my spouse to understand myself, my relationship with God, who I am as a person, my lack of self-esteem, any guilt, shame, and especially anger that I've had in my life. Um, and uh, in parenting, anger is a particularly devastating uh, emotion to have. It's devastating to our spouse and our children. And typically, anger will stem from pain, um, injustice, frustration, and fear. So in my own upbringing, I had to face that. And I had to really get healed internally so that I could move forward in my parenting. And even to this day, God is transforming me into um, the man that he wants me to be. He's using my children and my spouse uh, to be able to, to be more in the likeness of Jesus each and every day. 
So yeah, situations with our children are, are triggers from the past that need to be resolved if we find we are reacting with anger and frustration. It's important to know what was lacking in, in your childhood and to use it as a springboard to create a healthier environment for your children. And as much as we, you know, regardless of, you know, the, the background that we had, for the most part, we may have, most people want to be different from the parents. They wanna do better. Um, so on a conscious or subconscious level, we somehow get into that same groove. So to be aware and to know who you are, to know where you came from, to know what was lacking in your environment, and to know possibly even where the triggers of anger or frustration or patient impatience come from. A lot of times it's not, it's not in the environment that you're in, but it's the environment that was created for you as a child that kind of come up. So it's good to be aware of it and to give yourself permission to, to heal from it and, and move forward and do better. Um, it's important to give yourself permission to, to have healthy friendships. That's also really important to, to manage your time well um, so that you're balanced your time and your family. Um, take time for reflection, take time for recreation and take time for fun. Um, my husband is a great example of it. Um, I, you know, I was always kind of a doer and always doing and moving forward and trying to to make things happen. And he always, to this day, I mean, he he takes time for his exercise, for his hobbies, for, for the things that fill him up and make him feel refreshed um, and make him a whole person apart from being husband and father. He's Roland and people know him. You know, he does a rugby, uh, a touch rugby and people know him on the rugby field and people know him on the tennis courts. People know him outside of uh, his, you know, his role as a husband, father, or doctor. Um, and because of that, I think we've been able to, to raise well-rounded children. Um, and, and it's challenged me to kind of find out what refreshes my spirit, what makes me feel whole and, and healthy in that respect. Um, And I think it's key to being a good parent. Um, if you if you feel <clears throat> if you feel the need to help to get help, um, if you feel like you know you're dealing a lot with frustration or or anger, and you feel like maybe your past affected you, give yourself permission to seek counseling, professional counseling. Um, give yourself permission to um, take a day off and do what's fun for you. In the end, it's going to make you a much better parent. So um, hold time with yourself sacred. Is, is definitely something that I encourage my, I, you know, as a doula, I encourage even my, my, my new moms to, to make sure that they do that, um, to hold time for themselves sacred. So, um, so knowing yourself is key. And the next thing is know your spouse and know how you communicate. Uh, my Joel, my, my oldest, his name is Joel. He, um, one time I was talking to him, he was, it was towards the end of his college career. And he said, you know, mom, your relationship with dad is what I use as a role model in my relationships. And I was like, oh, that's good to know. I mean, I kind of knew that subconsciously, we know that. But to have him verbalize it was, um, 
was very eye-opening um, and something that I don't know if I was aware of as they were growing up on, you know, on the conscious level. Um, so I encourage you to consider the, the, the way that you know your, and communicate and relate to your spouse in front of your child. Um, but I'll let Roland speak on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, uh, in parenting, more is caught than taught. So they're gonna look at you and your relationship with your spouse, and that's gonna be their role model for their relationship with their spouse and other relationships in their lives. So the old days of, you know, do what I say and not what I do. I mean, it never worked back then and it doesn't work now. Um, if there is any uh, hypocrisy or, yeah, we, we love God and we love each other, but if there's a lot of strife, if there's yelling, if there's poor communication in the marriage, this is the stuff that the kids pick up on and um, it, it, it really hurts them you know, uh, emotionally and, and, um, and in their future lives. But the good news is, I mean, we've had uh, troubles in our marriage, you know, what, what couple yeah. hasn't, but working through them and, and they've seen all this uh, yeah. through the way. And uh, as you got older, we were able to communicate with them what we were yeah. feeling and thinking. Uh, and they saw us in this process of, of striving to have a marriage that, um, that glorifies God. And, um, and hopefully, you know, it's become a role model for them. Yeah. And I, we don't want to give an impression of, you know, that we had a, we've had a perfect marriage. Actually, Joel's, Joel's um, said to me, you know, you know, just, we've seen you through your ups and downs, but right. the, you know, he's, he has seen us come up through it. And um, it's just, it's amazing. You know, when you have, when you, when they get to adulthood and you get to talk about the things that they experience and, you realize, oh, well, that's, I'm glad that, you know, that worked out that way and that they, they, they learned from it. But um, another point in, in relation to knowing your spouse and how you communicate, uh, again, I want to bring up uh, the concept of kind of knowing where you came from, because um, one good illustration in our marriage was that uh, Roland, we grew up obviously very culturally different. Roland's family is from the Philippines. My family's from Puerto Rico. And the way that Roland's dad um, related to his mother was very specific and very different from the way that I grew up. Yeah, so. um, yeah. In our family, um, our my mom was she was uh, able to have an opinion, but she couldn't voice it if it was a different opinion than my father's. So, um, so we saw. I mean, throughout the years, that that's all I'd seen is that my mom was quiet when she disagreed with my dad. Um, and um, my father actually passed away uh, a year and a half ago. And then, um, and we had my mom, uh, just her, and she moved in with us. Uh, and I got to know my mom for the first time. And I got to know what her opinions were and what her likes. Unfortunately, she, she had, you know, they've been married for 50 years. So it took her a while to figure out what she wanted and her likes and dislikes. But it just showed me that um, you know, with that pattern of not listening to your wife and then marrying a woman who is very strong and who is very vocal about what she wants. I, I had to adjust. I had to change. It was not all smooth sailing. Um, and I, I definitely had to learn a lot. But when um, when I looked at myself, my upbringing, I said, you know what, this is something I have to change. I have to listen to my wife. Um, then it, it just changed the tone of our marriage for the better. Yeah. But the, the point is, is that we had to recognize that uh, 
the the way his his pattern in relating to me was coming from his background and my pattern was very different i mean i grew up in i was a new yorker I, my family's from puerto rico we were constantly voicing our opinions and so it created a lot of tension and so we had to work through that and 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 just recognizing that there, that that was the background and coming to terms with it and finding solutions um, positive solutions to communicate with one another was, uh, you know, a victory for our marriage and a victory in how we modeled behavior for our children. Now they're, they're single, they're still living their lives and figuring things out. But I think that, um, you know, uh, my older one in particular has been very vocal about uh, the, the, the example that we've set for them and what they're looking for in a future spouse. So um, you're setting the blueprint now. Um, also, um, the way that my dad um, treated us as as children, my brother and I, uh, and you know, even looking at your father uh, and mother, how they treated you, also um, bears a lot in how we treat our children. Like again, I, I would see myself. My my dad was very quick to get angry. He would uh, pull out his belt uh, very very quickly. Um, and learning about his family history and, uh, you know, looking at how he was raised, it was nothing compared to the, the abuse that my father took, unfortunately, when he was young. Uh, but I had to recognize that. I had to see that myself and I had to say, okay, stop. I had to pray through it. I mean, I had to uh, really talk it out uh, with friends and get help when I needed to uh, so that I could break that pattern and generational curse, if you will. Um, and be able to get past that and say, no, I'm going to respond to my children and not react to them. I'm going to look at them through the filter of the Bible and what that says, not at the pattern that my father showed me growing right. up. So I had to get rid of all those, the negative uh, patterns and bad habits that I learned, the generational curse. I had to get rid of all that stuff um, in order to move forward and uh, have a more positive experience with my with my children, my family. Yeah. So part of knowing uh, your spouse and knowing how you relate is breaking down those negative patterns, but it's also proactively replacing them with positive patterns and positive habits or traditions, if you will. Right. Um, we proactively sought to set up uh, opportunities and memories with our children. So. Today, when our children are, you know, as grown men come to spend time with us, they expect certain things that we implemented since they were little. For example, our meal times are very, first of all, you know, they, to this day, I still get pictures from my, from my older son because he's out in Los Angeles now. So he's like, look what I made, mom. So food is a very important part of our family tradition. And uh, breakfast, I was asked, talking to my younger son and I said, what do you remember the most about, about uh, growing up? And he's like, the breakfast, mom. Bre breakfasts are a big deal for me. They can't just be, you know, cereal or coffee and a donut. So, the, you know, he's big about making the breakfast. And, and, for, and it's not just the food. It's the way that it, it's the environment and the, the feeling, the feeling of safety and security and the anchor that it gave him. Um, and I appreciate, again, that's, that's, that was Roland proactively implementing these because I grew up in an environment where we got, our, we got our plate and we went to our own rooms, you know? So um, to actively move forward and setting up 
traditions, setting up things that in 25 years, they could, they could say, oh, I remember we, every, every Friday we did this or every Saturday we did this or something that they can uh, fondly remember uh, as they get older and can, can anchor you all together as a family. I think that's really important. I remember uh, every time we take a trip or uh, even just, you know, take a, the drive in the car, we would say, okay, let's pray. Let's pray for our safety. Let's thank God for, for what we're doing or where we're going. And we, they, we pray. And, um, and if ever we came across an accident um, in the highway, they let's pray for them, daddy, you know, cause we'd always pray for, you know, whoever's affected by that. And just a yeah, lot of little just the things, little, like things that. little traditions that if you can just, you know, put them into your daily life in 20 years, they'll remember and they'll value and appreciate that. Um, so then Joel said recently that, you know, you taught him how to be a great host. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. she's always been just fantastic and hosting others uh, and making them feel at home. And, and Joel said, he, he made breakfast. He, he, said, for he, his he made breakfast and, and sent us photos of, uh, of the, of the meal. He's like, look what I made for my roommates. And, and he said, I, I, thanks mom for teaching me how to be a good host. So those are the little things I think that really, um, add value and, and, and allow them to be, you know, to treasure the, the time they have with you growing up. Cause it does, it doesn't last forever. They grow up and they leave you, but they'll always want to come back if you can put those traditions and, and good memories in place. Yeah. Really enjoy this time. They say that the, uh, what is it? The, uh, the days are slow, but the years are fast. Very true. So uh, you may not feel it sometimes, especially with sleepless nights, but uh, these are the times that you'll really remember, look back. And, and uh, you know, I, I ask my kids, you know, all the time, you know, what was something you remembered? And, and they would say the most insignificant things, you know, that I think, I think are insignificant. And they had a, just a huge role in their lives. Just, yeah, you brought me a gift that one time when you went on a trip, I, you know, I'm just racking my brain to remember. Uh, but these are the things, enjoy every single moment of every single day, because uh, you don't get a second chance at parenting. You know, uh, the good thing is you don't have to do it again, but <laughs> the, the, the bad news is you, you don't get a second chance. But the good news is also God's with you and with uh, tools like this and what you guys are doing, learning more and more, you'll be able to be the parents that God wants you to be and your children will grow up to be the, the kids that God wants them to be. Yeah. So knowing yourself, knowing your spouse and your family. And the last is the last is knowing, knowing your, your child. child. So knowing your child, every child is made uniquely, distinctly and individually with different passions, talents, abilities, and perspectives. If you have a strong willed child, celebrate that. There are plenty of outside influences that will try to control them. The fact that they can stand up for themselves is awesome. It is extra work now, but channeled correctly will serve them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Listen to them. If they do something you don't understand, give them time to reflect and respond and ask questions to understand their heart, heart not just to correct their behavior. Right. Um, well, I'll let Joel, uh, Roland tell the story, but there's a story about Joel. Um, go ahead, yeah, you're we, a much better storyteller. Well, when he was little, we uh, we used these flashcards. Actually, John and Vivian um, 
uh, turned us on to these flashcards. Just a fun way to learn their letters. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, the teacher I had to, they had to learn by the certain by the time they were two or three. Or whatever, <laughs> and, you know. Yeah, I mean, we you know, but we always made it fun. Always we ended always with a hug. You know. Um, uh, by the way, just uh, shame and guilt and uh, um, uh, manipulation should have no part in parenting. So you know, and learning stuff like that, you know that should never uh, become a part of the learning process. So we were learning, we're showing these letters and we come, you know, uh, L and M he got, and then the letter N, he would say you. Lowercase N. The yeah. lowercase N, he'd say you. And I'd say, no, son, that's N. We talked about, you know this, this is N. He'd say, no, you, daddy, you, you. I'm like, what is he, what are you He'd talking about? He'd say, kind about? of you, kind of you. It's kind of you. And then, and I looked at it from a different perspective and an upside down lowercase N is a letter U. So, you know, at that point, we gave him a hug. He said, yeah, you're right, Joel. That's really great. So that it gave him an opportunity to, to learn that you can look at things from a different perspective, that uh, there's not always just one right way to learn, uh, you know, and, you know, that learning is fun, you know, with the hugs and tickles and all that stuff. So, you know, if there's something in your child's behavior, you don't understand what is going on here. This, if they are acting out or if they are, um, if it's a baby, if uh, their sleep pattern is off or um, if something different is going on, you have to really ask yourself, um, you know, is there something deeper going on? And you have to really listen. T. Barry Brazelton has this, um, uh, this concept called touch points. And he said that children develop uh, not in a straight line, but they develop like uh, someone walking through a meadow after a rain. So after it rains in a meadow, there are puddles and there are ravines and, and things like that. So when children grow, they'll go, they'll come to a touch point or a time in their lives that they um, have a choice for development. And instead of just walking through the puddle, they take some steps back, they regress, and then they take a running leap over the puddle. So these touch points, you'll see um, regression in the behavior or acting out or something like that. Just hold tight, just listen, just, you know, uh, ask yourself what's going on here. And then you'll see usually a really rapid advancement in their development. This happens physically, this happens emotionally, and this happens spiritually as well. When you think, oh man, my son is like, what's going on? You know, when they're older, when they're teenagers, like, oh man, but they're actually, they're looking at their faith. Yeah, it's like they're going through a growth spurt. Right. Um, and you'll see that with newborns you know, they, they develop really good sleeping patterns and somewhere around uh, the third month, they start to regress and you think, oh, I've done something wrong as a parent. No, it's normal child development. Right, right. So that happens as well spiritually. Yes, absolutely. And we have to just notice, we have to notice their talents. We have to notice their desires, their wants and passions, especially when they're a little bit older. Uh, I think there's a five-year-old, there's 11-year-old uh, in the group uh, and, and, and listen to them. Um, you know, there's the verse that we all quote is train a child in the way they should go and in the end it will not depart from it. Uh, what that says is train a child in the way that they should go, not train a child in the way that you want them to go or train a child in the way that you think they should go or train a child in a way that would be most expedient for them financially in the future. No, it doesn't say that. It says train a child in the way that they should go in the way that God has for them in their particular bent, their propensities, their talents, their desires, 
and then let them pursue that, right. not your preconceived notion of what your child wants to you, what you want them to do. Right. That means as a parent, your biggest uh, responsibility is to observe and to notice, to notice what their talents are, what their desires are, um, how they perceive the world, what their passions are, and to encourage them. So God has put something in their heart to do. And if, if, uh, if you're lucky, you'll be able to kind of stay out of the way and let it, let it flourish out of them and guide them through it. So I think that's important because I think, uh, you know, in, in the Christian community, it's, well, sometimes it can be all about shoulds and shouldn'ts. Mm. But I think, you know, when he says that we should be like little children or that we should be like, you know, uh, I, I have the scripture written down. We'll, we'll read it. But it, it, it talks about, um, what does that scripture say? Um, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So that scripture speaks to me because truly these ch children are the ones that are closest to God. And if as adults, we can remove kind of our preconceived ideas or intents, we can gently guide our children to be who God has called them to be. Um, so. You want to talk about Matthew? Matthew is our strong-willed child. Yes. So Matthew so. is 23. He's two and a half years younger than our, our older son. Um, he, they're both very smart, um, uh, very accomplished people. Uh, uh, but Joel was kind of our rule follower, and Matthew was always pushing the boundaries. Um, so much so that at four years old, and for preschool, I had to make him a costume that represented the letter M and I made him a mountain and I was very proud, made it out of felt, uh, made like three peaks and he refused to wear it. And I was beside myself. <laughs> uh, Why did he refuse to wear it? Uh, well, in retrospect. <laughs> Cause it looked like a pile of a not so good material and uh, he didn't want to wear that. That's you find in your diaper. Yeah, that, that cute emoji. In retrospect, eyes, yeah. at four years old, he had the maturity to realize this doesn't look good, Mom. Oh, I, I... Actually, here he is now. Here he is now. Hey, Matthew. How are you? Um, um, you know, he was also very opinionated about shoes and he, at that age. So imagine, you know, as a mom, four or five years old, the child having an opinion about a pair of shoes that you bought him. Um, so I always wanted to, you know, direct him. But in the end, you know, he did, he's done what he's wanted to do. He wound up getting a scholarship to Carnegie Mellon to study engineering. He went there almost two years and quit. And uh, that was hard for us. Um, but right now he's in a stage where he's making really great choices for his life. He's found a really great group of friends. He's living a courageous life. Um, he just went rock climbing in Alabama. Um, he's enjoying life and he realizes his passion is music. So if it was the way that I should go, he would have, he should, you know, finish, um, 
his engineering degree and you know all that but it's the way that he should go and so the good thing is and, um, um, what I want to add to that is that he for his age group his views and his perspective on life is very very conservative so he's going against the grain basically because if you ask an average 23 year old what they believe about certain hot topics that are out in the world today his will be very different from well yeah the fact that he believes in god and he yeah. believes that um you know that jesus loves him and yeah you know these are radical views unfortunately in his age group so um we're very proud of him that he has the courage to to live the life that he wants to leave he told me one day dad i don't want to be an engineer I'm like oh you have a scholarship this college is great it's like my passion is music I want to bring joy to people's lives and change their lives through music. So I said, okay, <laughs> that's great. Um, how will you eat? But he, um, he's in a program of uh, music production. So he uh, creates music, but he can also produce music uh, for artists that, that come up and want to glorify God as well. And really that's, that's the goal of parenting is to, to guide our children to lead lives that are full of joy, full of peace, and that give glory to God. So, um, so that's it, knowing yourself, knowing your spouse and your family, knowing your child. And I guess in conclusion, uh, I'd like to share our favorite parenting verses. Uh, Lee, you wanna share yours? Yes. Um, mine is 1 Peter 4, 8. It says, above all, keep loving one another deeply since love covers a multitude of sins. And mine is um, my life verse as well. It's Romans 8, 28. All things work for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So why is that your favorite verse? Well, because <clears throat> uh, to me, it's God's promise that although I have parented my children and maybe not parented them perfectly, his love covers over, uh, uh, over my shortcomings as a parent. And he will always fill in the gap. And I've seen that. And in retrospect, after after the years of parenting, I've seen God fill in the gap with people who have helped guide our children and direct them and and, and teach them lessons that maybe I fell short on. So and that's comforting because God is God and I'm I'm me. So and mine is, you know, God can work uh, for good, even though I'm not a perfect parent, even though we're not perfect is you know, as Christians and um, that we don't have a perfect marriage and, you know, God works all things for the good of those who love God, what, you know, we're called according to his purpose and he can even use our mistakes. He can redeem that into something that uh, is beautiful in the lives of our children. So thank you so much everyone for your time. Uh, it, were there any questions? Yeah, well, I was going to say, let's open it up for questions. And um, be, because we have you and you're a pediatrician and the lesson was great. I think those three points are really important as we raise our kids, you know, knowing ourselves and knowing our children. And um, what was the third one? The, uh, knowing our spouse, spouse and our family. Yeah. And our family communication. Super important. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to open it up for... Uh, people just to ask you any questions I know you don't mind about just even things that you encounter in your pediatrics things that come up I'm sure probably sometimes they bring the kids in you see more than just the medical part right and so 
Oh, yeah. Anyway, I just thought we'd open it up. Anybody can ask any questions they want. Yeah, yeah, I had a question. Um, so as an educator, I'm, I'm sorry, what was your name again? Um, I'm sorry. The, uh, uh, Lee. Lee, yeah. Lee, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so as an educator, um, what would you what would you recommend? Um, so our son, uh, he's about 10 months and um, I enjoy reading to him. So, but within a minute or less than that, just okay, I don't want to do this anymore, you know? Um, and I'm just like, man, you know, like and he start eating, like he'll start chewing on the book. It just gets, you know, really, really distracted. Um, so I don't, so, so at times I feel like, um, is he, is it like, you know, seeking in for him? Yeah. Like what's the point, you know, and stuff like that too. So any recommendations as far as like how to encourage him to enjoy reading time? Um, I mean, I think you're doing a great job. I think it's great that you're opening up a book. Um, uh, I think at that age, it's really good to set up a routine. So the time that you read the book is more important. Um, and the place where you read the book. Um, so I've worked with moms where in order for them to set up a routine for their child to go to sleep at a certain time, whether it's nap time or evening time, they um, will get everything ready, change the diaper, and then sit in their reading chair and have a book read to them. Um, and, and I've, you know, as a, as a doula, the, the babies as they get older, especially at by 10 months, oh, it's, it's book time. That means it's nap time. So it's not exactly, because they're, they're 10 months, it's not exactly the, the, the words that you're saying. It's actually the routine of them sitting in your lap and, and holding a book and pointing at pictures and, you know, um, just engaging. So it doesn't, you could be, you could be saying watermelon, watermelon, watermelon at that age, because they're not comprehending quite yet, but just the act of sitting with them and reading a book is, is edifying and, and encouraging. And then as they get older, then they'll start developing more cognitive abilities. They'll be like, oh, you know, they'll start connecting what you're saying with what's on, in the, on the pages. So does that make sense? And yes, remember yes, that they, um, they, it's not really what you say to them, it's how you made them feel through mm -hmm. all of this. So yeah, like we said, the fact that you're opening a book, just be really happy. Hey, we're gonna read a book. This is so cool. This is awesome. If they, man, at that age, you know, 30 seconds is a long time. Yeah. That's really good. You're doing mm -hmm. great. Cause it's that feeling of, yeah, it's story time. That's good. Oh, let's chew the book now. That's fine too. You know, you know, just don't, don't push it. Don't just let them feel like this is a great time and then move on to the next thing. And then the next thing, then they'll come back to the book and then and like she said, as they get older, they'll now learn the content. Yeah. yeah. At 10 months, it's, it doesn't matter what you're saying. It's the fact that you're holding them. And, and then as they get older, they'll, they'll like, oh, they'll, they'll want to read. But it's great that you're doing it. I Absolutely. Think they're they're going to get it eventually. Just a statistic. So. Um, parents that read to their babies, you know, from this age on, uh, if you read them every day, it increases them going to the college of their choice sevenfold. Uh, a sevenfold increase in them going to the college that they chose, just you reading. And again, it's not the content, it's the love for books, it's the ability that you know, you're equating reading uh, something, the symbols on the page to actual words and concepts and the enjoyment that you get from it, that 
that will translate to a very successful life for them. You, you just have one? Yeah, yeah just one. One 10 month old, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so that's good. Cool. He's, yeah. It's a boy, right? <laughs> It's a boy. Yeah, he's a boy. Yeah, boys are more active. They're very tactile. Right. They're learning even right. if they're trying to touch the book or bite the book. That's how, <laughs> I mean, they're orally fixated at this time. So that's how they're right. processing everything. So it's perfect. You're doing perfect. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, we, so we have our sweet baby girl who is six and a half months old, um, but just very different opinions on sleep training. Um, and so That's I hear her cry for long because I'm like, oh my gosh, she's struggling. And he's fine with it. So I'm just having a hard time figuring out, like, I don't believe in the cry it out method. I just don't think Agreed. that's at all. But what is a, like, I just don't know. And I mean, I don't know if she's in the middle of a sleep regression or not, but now she like, just started her crib this week and you put her down and it's she's not going to sleep like there's been nights this week where she just spends her whole night on my chest <laughs> so yeah. i just i don't know i just don't know what to do then she was sleeping that's let me say that but, and then uh yeah no definitely sleep training is one of the biggest things and it's something that will again last them for the rest of their lives so um you know don't be weirded out by that but it's it's kind of important to teach them that sleep is important um, there are three schools of thought with sleep training. One's a fervor method, which is you let them cry to exhaustion until they pass out. For me, that's like child abuse. Don't do that. That's not good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Ultra uh, different for him because he's straight from Nigeria. But... Right. Yeah. And, you know, it works. It works for some people. I just feel um, just learning what I've learned uh, about baby psychology that they, they have they start to have abandonment type issues if you let them cry to exhaustion before they pass out. This, the other um, school of thought is the Sears method, which is hold them on your chest, let them sleep with you till they're 16 years old and they wanna stop sleeping in your family bed. The <laughs> Sears doctors, they had eight children. They got this giant bed and they had them all sleep with them in the bed. I'm not a fan of that method either. That's not good for your marriage. And studies show that actually uh, co-sleeping like that, uh, neither the parent nor the child gets um, uh, adequate amounts of sleep. Okay, so what do we do? So my method and yours as well is, is sort of an in-between method. And that's um, you uh, allow them to learn like anything else, how to self-soothe and put them to sleep, but in a way that's age appropriate. What do I mean by that? Um, at six months, old, I mean, um, ideally, again, uh, it's better to start when they're two days old or even two hours old, uh, the sleep method. And, and using this in my practice in the last 25 years, I've been able to have kids sleep through the night at around two to four months of age. But you could do it at six months. It's just going to take a little bit longer. And the progression is this. Um, you have your bedtime routine, like she talks about, um, you know, bath time, uh, no stimulation, no screen time, nothing like major, you're putting down the lights, you're letting them know, okay, it's sleep time, good night, time to go to sleep. You know, you can um, have a little devotional, you know, with the baby, you know, have a prayer time, uh, and then gently, you know, lights out, go to sleep, put them down. Now, typically, um, if they have the pattern, they'll, they'll wake up again um, and start crying. Don't rush in right away. Okay, let them understand that this is nighttime and it's time for you to sleep. 
Okay, so this is where the, the, the differences come in. What you don't do is you don't let them cry to exhaustion until they pass out. You let them cry for a certain amount of time and then you go in. When they get to the point where they're, they're doing that whole thing and they're you know throwing up and it's you don't let them get to that point you can't because it they're past the point of no return and they can't go to sleep at that point but if they're going on uh for a little long let them go on for about five to ten minutes you know the first evening uh and then go in and try to get away with as little as possible so what do i mean by that you go to the door without turning on the light and say go to sleep go to sleep time go to sleep now a lot of times they equate your voice with your presence. So uh, it'll soothe them and they'll be able to go to sleep. If that doesn't work, go to the crib and just uh, let them see you and say, go to sleep. It's time for sleep. Many times that will soothe them and they'll be able to put themselves to sleep. If that doesn't work, then you touch them, you pat them, just pat them. Don't pick them up yet. Time for sleep, time to sleep. That may soothe them. And if that, that works fine, they go to sleep and then step out. If that doesn't work, finally hold them. Uh, and if they still cry and they're hungry or they need to be changed and feed them. Or, and that's always something you have to make sure that they're not uh, wet, soiled or, or hungry. You know, you can tell that cry by now. Uh, but if it's not one of those cries, if it's like, you know, I just want you here. I just want to sleep with you. Then you go through the progression. And then the next night you're going to do the same thing, but you're going to wait one minute longer. So if you did it five minutes the first night, you're going to go to six minutes and then do the progression. And then the next night it's seven minutes and then 10 minutes. And in my experience at six months, typically around 14, 15 minutes, you'll see crying and then they put themselves to sleep without you going in again. And that is when you say, hallelujah, praise Jehovah. Thank you, Lord, for this. Uh, and it won't be, you know, uh, you know, it won't be perfect, but that's the point where you say, wow, this is great. And then the next night, the next night, don't say, oh, it's bedtime. Okay, I'll see you tomorrow, mom, dad. Thank you. I love you. Good night. And then they'll sleep through the night. And when you have that pattern, they keep that pattern. And uh, like Lisette said, they'll have uh, sleep problems at two months, at four months, at six months, nine months, 12 oh, months, yeah. 15 months. Those are the regression times. And then at two, two and a half, three and four. Those are the times that they're going to regress. They're going to push the boundaries a little bit. That's when you stay strong, keep doing the same thing, get past it, and then it'll be better. And if you can weather that storm, I mean, our sons will say, you know, we're having a good time when they were, you know, like seven, eight, nine, ten. They're like, you know what? I'm, I'm tired. I'm going to go to sleep. And we're like, okay. Oh, good night. So that, that's a healthy sleep pattern that you can develop in your children. Yeah. And the only thing I would add to that is that um, <clears throat> at six months, because she's so self-aware, um, I don't know what your, what your, uh, it's a she, right? So baby, mm -hmm. baby goes, uh, I don't know what your habits have been up to this point. Um, so I, I would go even more gentle with it, hold her a little right. bit longer yeah, yeah, yeah. and make, months. you know, if you had been doing it from two months, then, you know, you could create stronger boundaries but i would be even more gentle right and Agreed. hold her longer and um maybe have her almost half asleep before you put her down right. don't put her down cold and, and awake and alert right have a sleep and then just give her a lot more you i i work with moms where you know they, they just the baby holds onto the pinky while baby's in crib just because it's comforting um because it, it just takes a little bit longer to transition and all they want is a little bit more comfort um 
and especially during times of regression, because they do, it does happen. It doesn't mean you're spoiling your child. It just means baby's developing a little bit, uh, you know, going through a growth spurt and the senses are a little bit more heightened um, and it just happens. So yeah, just, just keep at it and be consistent, develop a pattern, be consistent with the pattern and give baby comfort. And I love what Roland said about, you know, uh, going in for reassurances, but, you know, Try to lengthening get it, it, yeah, lengthening little, yeah. it um, as time goes on. So. Yeah, I just want to, I just want to help my wife out here. She said, I'm straight up from Nigeria. <laughs> I did not. We, <laughs> it doesn't mean that Nigerians, you know, <laughs> abuse their child with No, it's crying. just a lot more independent. It's, it's, it's just more like you have, you have enough help. Um, you know, right. sometimes house help. Sometimes you have an aunt or your mother-in-law, you know, come and they go, they do this suffering, right? Um, <laughs> not the case here. I'm right. doing this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, we understand completely. So yeah. yeah, hang in there, you know. That's awesome. I mean, when we were younger, we would stay up to have fun. So just know that, and again, your, your baby's gonna, gonna remember how they felt at bedtime. So if right. you go in and you're stressed and you're anxious, and you're like, go to sleep already, please. They're going to feel that. I mean, let's face it. They know our energy from across the, the room, uh, the other side of the house. So stop, breathe, say, thank you, Lord, for blessing me with this child. You know, get centered, you know. And I mean, there's a point where I told her, I can't, I just can't, I can't. I'm going to, no, I can't. I mean, I, would, I knew my limits. And so she was like, okay, was, I'll go. I was a little bit more patient. Yeah, she was. Training. Yeah. So I, so I knew my limits and it wasn't, you know, if it's not going to be a, a, a good time for everyone concerned, then just step back. But I you really center yourself, know that this is temporary. This is very temporary. What you're doing now, these building blocks can help them for the rest of their lives. And uh, it's going to be okay. I hope that helps, yeah. but. I have mind, there won't be six months for too long. Yeah. So, <laughs> I have a, a quick question. Yeah, I mean, with that, I don't know if that was much to do with American Nigerian versus guy girl, because I'm I'm not close to Nigerian, and I felt the same way. We'll cry it out. It's fine. They got to figure it out somehow. Just kind of thing. But I just want to say, just thank you guys. I mean, this is amazing. And um. Well, we thought we were just going to get a, a, a spiritual lesson, but to have your guys' experience added to all this and to the spirituality just helps it so much. Um, so I just want to say thank you for jumping on and, um, and encouraging and helping yeah. and pointing us to know our families and know each other so much more. Took a lot of good notes, but we also had a question. Yeah, I think one, um, I appreciate you saying that you can start as early as two days because we honestly started sleep training our son at like two weeks. And we got and a lot of flack for it. We got a lot of flack for it, but he's <laughs> yeah. been sleeping through the night since three months. And we got yeah. on the call today and it was like, we were saying it's the first time in a really long time he's even cried. He'll, we'll put him in the crib and he's wide awake talking to his stuffed animals and then he falls asleep. Singing to his So that was really reassuring for me because I'm like, did we start too early? Like what's going on? But he's been a great sleeper since the beginning. So that's, that's super encouraging for me. My question is I know you mentioned some traditions to have in place for the for the children that they can you know go back and look look at that means a lot to them in their in as they grow up. 
I guess more specifically, what were some traditions that you guys had in your marriage? Because I think it can be so easy to be all consumed with potty training and sleep training and okay, learn the colors. Okay, learn your ABCs. Okay, now, you know, we're, you know, someone was recently asked us, what kind of school do you want Cam to go to? You know, and I feel like all the spotlight can be on the children, which is awesome. They deserve that, right? But like, what were some habits you had in place to keep a healthy spotlight on your marriage so that, you know, the children don't, I, I think also, I just mentioned this to Jordan, as campus ministers, we we minister to a lot of adult children. <laughs> it's a re- really right. weird head but a lot of their families their parents get divorced because once the youngest child moves out it's kind of like who are you and why do I want to live with you still you know and so I think um, I would just love to know what were some things that now that both of your sons are gone you guys obviously still have a friendship you're still married you still love each other like what were some things that um, were traditions whether intentional or not that you would recommend in these young child rearing all-consuming years (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I I tell parents, you know, just remember, you're going to have your child for about 18 years and they're flying the coop. Bye. Uh, You're going to be married for about 75 years. Okay. So you have to, we have to work in our marriages every single day uh, for it, for that reason, because we're going to be, you know, you know, married for life. Secondly, studies show that children that um, are raised in households where there is love, joy, peace, and happiness, specifically between the, uh, the, the spouses, uh, do so much better emotionally, intellectually, uh, financially, even uh, down the road. So it's crucial that you develop your, your marriages and, and work on that every single day. Um, but what are but, some of the- I mean, traditions, traditions between the two of us, um, I would say that date night was yeah we we always tried to have fun um and I think Roland was really good at being like the fun master um so we did vacations uh I don't know how often we did vacations not enough right it wasn't (laughs) uh the recommendation is this you stay uh you go out one night a week no no babies no children one night a week okay one overnight now this is the the general the rule the recommendation it can't always happen no, but it's okay. one night a week no kids you got to go just even if it's a walk to the park just no kids one night a week one overnight no kids per month one overnight no kids per month that's a, that's a lot I, and then one this is the recommendation we're, ha- we're having a disagreement yeah we're having a disagreement <laughs> but ideally this is what what we should have done or what what i recommend now and then uh the third is one week per year no kids now that's also a stretch yeah, yeah. so if you that, can so approximate if you could do a weekend or that kind of thing but i mean ideally no. that's, that's the way to do it but at least a date night we definitely have date night we'd have a date night and we'd have a meeting night where we talk about stuff like you know the water heater and you know that kind of stuff um <laughs> I, I don't remember all that. I do remember that um, we uh, we did have fun vacations. Honestly, from zero to, to, to 10, I think, you know, your life is centered around the kids. That's just the way it is. But you're not gonna regret it. And you're not gonna regret it really. Um, if you don't center your life around the kids, that's the only time you'll regret it. So, but um, as I mentioned before, 
you have to figure out what refreshes your spirit, what allows you to recreate yourself and, and feel filled up inside. So don't lose yourself in the marriage. Find out what's fun for you. Right. Um, Roland has uh, been very clear about what's fun for him in terms of like, you know, I mean, when, when he wasn't doing touch rugby, he was doing uh, tennis or he was doing, um, we had, there was at church, there was like a Frisbee touch. Ultimate Frisbee, yeah. Ultimate Frisbee. He's got a competitive spirit. Me, what was fun for me, I, I'm a big movie buff. Um, I, he, he's, when we were dating, he never took me to watch movies. So that wasn't, but. I wanted to talk to her. Yeah, but I like to watch movies. So we wound up, we'd go watch movies. So we have to figure out what we like individually and, and compromise with each other. Right, right. And we, we weren't as regimented as once a week. We did have the support of my mom who would come and visit for a long extended periods of time. So we were able to go on dates, but you could have a date at home, you know, um, uh, in terms of keeping, you know, if you're feeling like the, the marriage is kind of getting lost in the kids, I would recommend um, at least uh, twice a month having a date night at home where you can order food. You know, you don't, she doesn't have to go into the kitchen. You don't just order food out, Uber eats and, you know, set the table and put the kids to bed early and enjoy each other's company um, if you if you don't have the support of childcare. Um, and I would recommend childcare that you're 100%, you know, secure in. Um, so you can do little things like that. But looking back on our marriage, you know, we made sure to go on vacations together. Uh, we only, I only remember one with just the two of us um, but we did fun vacations with the kids, even like camping with, we went to Rehoboth Beach was when we were living up in Philadelphia, went to Rehoboth Beach with another family from the church and they had little kids and we just, had, we just made sure to have fun. And, and sometimes, you know, I mean, we just need that. We need to make sure if you need to put yourself on a schedule of once every six months, we're going to, we're going to go. And we, it didn't have to be expensive. Camping isn't expensive. Um, you know, uh, what else did we do? We'd go, we'd, we would go to like a little place on Rehoboth Beach, um, I'm trying to remember where else we went. Yeah, we go to oh, we'd go favorite to, restaurants. We'd go to the, like we'd that. go to the museum for the, museum, the day. Yeah. In Philadelphia had some great museums. We'd go to the museum for the day with the kids. We'd go to the, to, to uh, the Butterfly Museum, the, um, uh, the Franklin Museum, just for the day, Please Touch Me Museum. And if it meant, if it, we went to the aquarium once, the four of us, Sometimes it was like a, an outing, um, but those are the memories that the kids are going to remember and that you're going to remember too, because you know, fun is important. So, yeah. Does that make sense? I said fun way too many times. <laughs> um, well, Katie and I uh, really, really appreciate you guys uh, spending this time with us and, um, you know, really I appreciate hearing your wisdom and your perspective on things. Uh, we have a lot of questions that we could ask, but we, we thought we would go with a um, relatively non-controversial one, spanking. Um, <laughs> I say that in jest. Uh, I can imagine if you're referencing Daniel Siegel, how you might feel about spanking, but um, I'm curious kind of, you know, what you think about it. Um, and I think it kind of speaks even to a larger question I have which maybe you could speak to as well, which is, you know, with parenting advice, you know, there's a lot of different opinions out there. 
you know, sometimes parenting advice seems to be like cyclical or generational, right? Right. Or, or sometimes people are reacting to the way things used to be sometimes maybe overreacting or, you know, and even, you know, we come from our own cultures and there's kind of the prevailing church culture. And sometimes one of the, the hardest things is knowing which advice to listen to. Right. You know, and yeah, so definitely. if you have any thoughts about how to just discern between all the advice that's out there and all the opinions that are out there. Well, I have to say, Parenting from the Inside Out was one of my favorite books when the yeah. kids were little. Um, I don't remember all of it because I haven't read it in a long time, but I remember it really speaking to my soul and thinking, wow, this is a very powerful book. And I remember actually being on vacation on the beach in Rehoboth and, and praying and reading a chapter in that book. Uh, but I remember praying, like asking God to show me, you know, where I was falling short and literally, and he literally answered me within minutes because I saw this family with two little boys and the mother was reprimanding them so harshly. And it was like, oh, it was truly one of those moments where, okay, God, I get it, you know? Um, so I, <clears throat> I would uh, encourage you to pray, to have time to reflect and consider your um, family of origin and how it may um, adversely affect you and how you respond to your children. Um, and ask God to guide you to, to do better and be better. And I would encourage you to follow your, your um, you know, the guidance of the Holy Spirit um, uh, on it. Because every, if, if we didn't stress it enough, every child is different. Mm -hmm. Every child has a different bent and different perspective. And so just because somebody spanks their child every time they do a specific thing doesn't mean you need to do that. Yeah, definitely. So. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, uh, a few years ago, the American Academy of Pediatrics had a, a, a vote on whether corporal punishment was a good thing or not to recommend to parents. And it, um, the, the, they decided against spanking at a 51% to 49% uh, split. Uh, and the reason is because if you have a... Um, uh, sort of a blanket policy for parents, then not all parents are, are good like you guys, okay? If you say, yeah, it's okay to spank, they're gonna take out their belt and they're gonna wallop their kids or they're gonna really beat their kids. Unfortunately, I've, I've seen it. Um, so that kind of blanket policy about spanking, you can't. So it was probably wise that they did that. Personally, however, I agree with Lee that you really have to, uh, every child is different. Every family situation is different. Every person is different. You have to really pray and look and see like when a child may uh, react, I mean, exceptionally well, or, or, or it's enough to just put them in timeout or to say, you know, I'm, it really hurt, hurt, you know, that you said that, or I know that you, know, you made that decision. Why did you make that? You know, that kind of thing, find out why, and that's enough. Um, whereas other children, um, if uh, the parent is, is in control of their emotions, um, is, uh, and the child is such that, well, you know, sometimes a little tap would be helpful for them. Uh, and because we've tried the timeout, we've tried the other methods of discipline. Um, and that's, that's where we should go with this. Then, then definitely, I think it would be, uh, something that's important. I, we had one son that, 
uh, did well with uh, that needed um, corporal punishment and one that didn't. And um, unfortunately, we didn't, I didn't always use that. You know, I, I learned a lot more, you know, as time went on and I didn't use it appropriately at all the times. And unfortunately, sometimes my anger got the better of me. Mm-hmm. But um, knowing that, you know, corporal punishment is, is when, again, you have to remember how your child feels. You know, they disobeyed you you're coming down on them and you're spanking them hard, you know, in anger. It's not something you want them to know. You want them always to know that they, that you love them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you discipline them, the, you know, this disciple teach them how to, you know, uh, how to, uh, and it's internal. It's always internal. Their behavior is a reflection of how they are on the inside. So yeah, they'll, they'll be quiet in church, you know, if you smack them, but will will they really have a heart for god will they really you know respect and love you guys enough to say you know what yeah let me listen to right now you know what i mean so that's the end goal that you want so you know and answer your question yeah it yes and it depends on on the the child and you guys and that's something you know that you can hash out with um with other people maybe get some advice about and people that know you well uh and know your children well um and, and I mean, just prayer. pray. I feel like God is when I when I prayed for specific things, I always got I always got specific answers from from God in a very yeah. short, timely yeah. manner. Um, and because He knows, He knows what your child needs, and He knows you know where you're coming from. So yeah. Um, in Lee, can you comment on the idea that if you do it without spanking, does it take more work, more consistency, more regularity, or? Uh, again, it depends on the child. Sometimes, I mean, some children are very, very strong-willed, and um, uh, but it doesn't mean if a, a strong-willed child necessarily needs spanking. Uh, some ch- strong-willed children love attention. So if you just, you know, say, put them in the timeout chair, uh, and it's one minute for every year of life. So if they're four, it's four minutes using a timer, uh, and timer doesn't start until they're sitting there in the chair. If they're getting up, timer starts again. Um, so, you know, sometimes that's enough. And they, they, they love being with, you know, with everybody's center of attention. So that you want punishment to hit them where it hurts in a good way. Meaning if it's attention that they, that they crave and they really love, then it's like, you know what, this is what you're going to be in timeout. Uh, if it's, um, um, I wouldn't use food as punishment or as reward. That's not a good thing. I wouldn't use TV or video as punishment or reward as well, because it puts a lot of kind of uh, uh, guilt, shame and weirdness on these things. And food should be for fuel and, you know, to help them to feel good physically. And TV should be something that they use as a tool to help them to learn or uh, as entertainment sometimes. And again, obviously, you guys know you have to always monitor your uh the the video watching and that sort of thing uh there's a reason why mark zuckerberg and these other guys they did not allow their children to have ipads iphones or any electronics till i think they were they're pretty old um do not use video as a video babysitter even though it's very very tempting to do the stimulation is way too much for their brains it is very addictive and it can cause neural pathways that uh are not good they won't be able to sit still for slow mundane things like sermons and, uh, and school. Um, so, so in answer to your question, yeah, John, it, it depends and you're really gonna have to, it depends on the child and, and what, what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. 
I say use it sparingly and with lots of wisdom and prayer lots of because love. there's other ways to discipline and correct your child. You want to you want to guide your child. You don't want to you don't want to squelch his spirit. Right. Thank you. I really appreciate just how thoughtful you are. It's mm -hmm. really helpful. Um, I had a question. Um, we, as I mentioned earlier, we have two children and they're pretty close in age, just a little over two years apart. Um, but, you know, I, I was, you know, full disclosure, I guess feeling a little mom guilt when I'm hearing Rob talking about reading to his 10 month old because we have an 11 month old and it's just it's just so hard to like get her in that type of routine where we're sitting down and reading with her when we're still having the just now three-year-old. Um, and so just any tips for like that second child and just having enough to be, um, I guess, as diligent as you were kind of with the first child, especially with them both being so close in age and needing um, a lot of attention still. What's the age difference, three years and 11 months? Yes, he just turned three yesterday and she'll be 11 months soon. So there's, they're just about like 20, almost 24 months apart, 23 okay. months apart. And um, I'm sorry, 26 you, months apart or something like that. Yeah, that's about our situation, right? Yeah. Um, how, where do you find that it's the most challenging during bedtime or? Um, I think kind of generally just kind of the, the 10 month old, she like, she's been walking since she was like eight months. So it's like trying to keep her out of things that she shouldn't be in. Uh, meanwhile, trying to keep him entertained without being on like electronics or something like that. Um, putting her down for a nap. And, and if he's not, you know, if my husband's not here and he's needing to, mm -hmm. to like kind of handle himself or bedtime, same thing. Um, you know, trying to give them both baths and get them both down, you know, just, but, still being able to have some of those quality times like reading to her and then turning around and reading to him and kind of getting them still in the bed at 7 30. It's just kind of like a, a juggling gag where I feel like one of them is going to get a little bit less. Yeah. Uh, birth order is one of those things that God uses actually in their lives as well and I know that's true with me and uh, but um, you uh, and the good news is that um, even if the second child may not have gotten the, your undivided attention as your first, they have a lot more stimulation from their older sibling. So, so it makes up for that. Um, you want to make sure that your older child, who is actually more cognizant at this point, has uh, the knowledge that they are, they are still special in your eyes, that you love, you know, love them, just you'll never stop loving them, and that uh, that um, you're always there for them. So how do you do that? It's one on, you have to have one-on-one -on -one time with the older child with no baby around at least once a week. So it's gonna be a, a mommy and me date or daddy and me date, play date, where you take the three-year-old and let's go to the park, no baby. Um, uh, and you know, it's it, just a few minutes. It doesn't have to be long or just any fun activity that you could do. Uh, and then you talk up, you talk up the fact that, wow, you're the older, the older brother, was it? Older brother, yeah. Yeah. You're the old, you're the big brother. You can yeah. eat pizza and you can swing on the swings. Can, can baby do that? No. 
you're so, man, God has blessed you so much. So it's so much fun that you're the big brother, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. And you know, your, your, your baby sister, was it right? Baby sister's going to look at you and she, you know, she's going to learn how to walk. She's going to just be just like you. And so you're, you're teaching these principles of yes, um, your, the older sibling is actually a role model for the younger sibling. And there's a bit of responsibility there. Um, And as you know, you know, you don't have to take naps so much like the baby. So let's put the baby for a nap so that she can grow up to be bigger and stronger so that you guys can play together. Would you like that? Oh yeah, that's, that's like, okay, let's just sit here quietly for a little bit and find some safe activity where they're not going to get into anything, obviously. And, and anything that we say, obviously, we want to make sure the kids are safe. And if you, if it's, you know, putting them in front of a video, then do it. <laughs> you know, if they have to be safe and let them be safe. Um, but, uh, but allowing that older, that one-on-one time with the older child, with each parent separately and together, uh, will really help to build them up and then do the same with the younger child as well. You know, they, they get typically will get more one-on-one time, um, alone with the parents, but doing that, especially for the older child is important. And then middle, when you guys have more children and by the eighth child, you guys are going to be experts. So, uh, but do that with every child. It's date night, mommy, daddy, with each child individually once a week. Yeah, and I would just add to that that um, if nighttime bedtime is a challenge, it's okay to stagger. Um, most most often, you will want to put the the, the younger baby down first, right. and maybe put the three year old in his bed with some books or some blocks, some fun toy that he can play with while you're. Say just be quiet because I'm putting your sister down. So stay here and I'm come. I'm gonna come read to you. So it makes you know sleep uh, bedtime a little bit longer. But you get her settled um, and in bed, uh, and then you have one on one time. You, then you have one on time. You just read one book with him, and then you say a prayer with him, and and get him to bed. Hopefully, or you can tag team if the both of you are home. Um, but you know the logistics of it should should flow nicely eventually um, once once you set up a good routine. Thank you, thank you for that. Sure. Well, I, um, you know, I wanna be cognizant, I know we started late, but I wanna be cognizant of everybody, almost everybody works. Uh, they're both working parents. And, um, and so Sorry. I wanna be cognizant of the time, but is there anybody that has one last question that's burning in your heart and you wanna, you want to ask it? I do. I actually do. Um, we have a 17 month old. I mean, he had a he had a schedule. He'd be in bed by seven before the new baby came. New baby comes home, you know, and he doesn't go to bed anymore. He's literally running around right now, and he's tired. He's tired, and he wants to go to sleep, but it's it's a drag. You know, I mean, he's he's adorable. His sister cries. He comes over. He gives her kisses. He does all of that. But he is running around at ten o'clock at night, and this typically he's three hours asleep by now. How do we get him to bed? This is it's it's a hassle. Yeah, it's very common when a a a, a sibling is born that there's major regression in the older sibling be it in sleep training or in potty training. They'll start soiling themselves again, and they'll or they'll act out. You may find that they act out more during the day. Sometimes they'll start biting. Sometimes they'll hit. Sometimes they'll throw things. It's like, what's going on here? My child is demon possessed. That would happen. You know, they were perfect. And 
but that's, um, you know, kids, all of us, we, we react in different ways to different circumstances. And the birth of a, a sibling for a, a 17 month old or a child is one of the most stressful things that they can go through. So, um, you know, in their young lives. So uh, we, you know, be cognizant of that, understand that and know that, okay, he's going through a little regression. You're gonna be a little patient with him now, but you're going to institute that sleep training that we talked about again. Make sure when you're with the baby uh, and it's um, the three-year-old, oh, the 17-month-old's bedtime, that um, lights lights are down in the house. It's not like you guys are having fun with the baby and he's by himself sleeping. You know, you want it to be like, okay, this is nighttime for everybody. This baby being up is temporary. This is not going to last. So, you know, just rest assured that you know this is sleep time for everybody. And then do that sleep routine that we talked about. And it's going to take a little bit longer. Uh, and you may have to be um, a little bit more patient and do the, the steps, you know, for a longer period of time. But you'll see eventually, I mean, he knows he, he's tired. He knows what's going on. But he also knows there's fun to be had. You guys are up. You're talking to people. There's something going on. So, you know, you know, and during normal nights, let them know it's sleep time. The lights are down. Everything's Everybody's quiet. going to sleep. Right. And the baby being up is just a temporary thing. Just, just hang in there. And don't be fooled by his kissing the baby. If he knows that you guys think it's cute, he's going to be like, oh, oh I can right. get stay up later if I do this. He'll be happy. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's absolutely true. Oh, he got, he got us with that one. But the thing is, yeah. though, even though lights are off and everything, he's still crying. He is, yeah. and he, well, he's not crying. He's just hollering, just making right. loud noises, and it's like tiring. I put him on my chest because typically he falls asleep on my chest, and his mother right. doesn't like that. But I'm like, look, whatever works to get him to sleep, I'm all about that. But right. that could take an hour or change just to get him to sleep. Lights are off and everything. He's screaming, and it's not the same. Like he normally doesn't go back. He does. He's not up this late. He's typically in bed. Right. Yeah, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. 17 months? 17 months, yeah. 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 Um, I, no, let me ask another question. What's his sleep pattern during the day? Does he take long naps during the day? He does. He, he takes yeah, like a nap at 11. So what you want to do is you want to truncate or shorten his daytime napping. You remember that all of us need a certain amount of REM sleep. That's a rapid eye movement sleep that we need for life. Um, and if he's getting all the REM sleep he needs during the day, he's going to be up. And that's true of uh, 17 month olds, three year olds and uh, 13 year olds and 30 year olds and 57 year olds. Uh, <laughs> so um, so what you wanna do now is, okay, wow, he was up till late, you know, 10, 10, 30. Um, so the next day, oh, let him a little bit longer, don't do that. Do your regular schedule, let him take a half an hour to 45 minute nap in the morning, one in the afternoon. I don't know what you guys schedule is, but make sure he doesn't sleep longer than usual wake him up, you know, okay, it's time to go do something super fun, go for a walk, you know, go to the park so that he's up stimulated so that by bedtime, he's like, yeah, feed me, yeah. we'll do our, you know, our, our devotional, our bath time, story time, I'm fried, I'll see you tomorrow, good night. And once you do that, you'll see that the, the battle is, that the battle at night is one during the day. And that's true of babies and, and everybody. So once you do that, I think it'll be easier for you guys. I'm going to use that quote. The battle at night is won during the day. That's a good one. Thank yeah. you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Sure.
Okay. Well, Roland and Lucette, thank you so much for giving us all this time. We really appreciate it. Um, thank you guys. It was a pleasure to meet everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We'll, we'll take you on up on uh, they. We can provide inf I mean, your contact information in case they want to ask you any more questions. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't call us three in the morning for uh, you know sleep questions. That we also kind of um, wrote a list of books that we read while the kids were growing up that, as a resource. If anybody was interested yeah. in getting that, we could type that up and send it to you. And yeah. can Riker say hi? Come on, John. Seriously, he Come loves here, our Riker. dog. Yeah, you can um, you can go ahead and send us that and we'll email it to everybody. Okay. Anyway, yeah, guys, definitely. thank you so much for all of your times because I know everybody here works and uh, it's late. So I pray that tonight will be a good night's sleep and tomorrow you'll be able to be bright and cheery doing all the things that you need to do. I love you guys. It's great to see Matt and Katie. I haven't seen you guys in a long time. And thank you for those that um, joined us. And uh, we'll let you know the next one. Love you guys. Love you guys. Good night, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.